Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, come on, LifePoint Church. How you guys doing? This is the last hurrah. You guys brought the energy. God bless you all. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you brought the heat. That was weak. Never mind. I take that back. That's okay. Regardless of how you feel, man, we're going to have some church today. I almost said tonight. Like, that's how my brain's a little fried right now. But if you don't know who I am, my name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church. Um, Thank you guys, if you're new with us, for being here with us today. Our senior pastors, Danny and Rachel Rivers, are over in Louisiana right now with one of their good buddies, uh, Pastor Russ Cripps, and his wife at Acacia Church. So they would probably appreciate it if you were just to send them up a quick prayer that God works through him over there today, even though we're separated. Power of prayer works, man, and we believe in that. Um, Thank you guys so much for being with us. Now, we are in a series right now called On Mission. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what it is we, we, we believe God has given to LifePoint Church, the vision and mission that we believe God has handed to us that we want to share with you guys for, for flourishing, right? We believe that God has d- purposed each and every single one of you for more in life than we could possibly ever dream or imagine. But there's kind of a path to get there, right? And so at LifePoint, we call those four things know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. That God always had it in his mind that we would know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And last week, Pastor Danny talked about what it looks like to discover purpose. But today, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to enter into, to embrace freedom. And freedom, freedom is kind of like a loaded word nowadays. Um, but the best way that I can explain my interpretation of it is going to be like, anybody love Braveheart? Any Braveheart fans? If you haven't seen Braveheart... You're missing out. So Braveheart, Mel Gibson playing William Wallace is like at the very end, like it's kind of morbid because he's like about to die, but not the point. The point is that at the end he's like, he screams out, freedom! And then chop, and then he drops a little handkerchief and end scene. Great movie. You should watch it. Don't support all the things in it, but that's okay. Um, but what he's, he's making a declaration. Right? He's saying that with my freedom, I should have the right to choose how and live I'm going, how I'm going to live my life. That I have the right to, to, to my own opinions, to make my decisions for my well-being, you keep to your business, and I'll mind mine. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. And that's a perspective of freedom, but I don't think that that's the freedom that we actually need freedom from. Like, ironically, it's not physical freedom that we actually have issues with. Most often, the kind of issues when it comes to freedom have to do with what happens in our minds in our emotions, and with our soul. And they're usually self-imposed or or something that somebody has done to us. And we find ourselves in chains where we build these prisons around our minds that we cannot seem to get out of. Like, let me give you, like, a a for instance. When I was was younger, I was short. To which you might be like, you're still short, bro. (laughs) Whatever, man. But when I was, when I was young, it, it really kind of enslaved me early on in life because while everybody else was getting like bigger and stronger, I was still like this little itty bitty kid. And, and they were growing, you know, they're like O'Connor bro, like those guys, I don't know what, they get fed at home, but they're, they're like massive and they've got like full on like Viking beards, like serious beards or, you know, or they just have like those little whiskers, but they still got something there. And there I was 
all smooth faced like, you know, a baby's bottom. And so I felt like other than. I felt outcast, left to the side, unwanted. And it's like, it's something so small and stupid, but how many of you guys know that the small and stupid things left unchecked can fester? And they can grow. And so while it had to do with my physical body, there was an internal belief that I began to grab onto that became a truth about myself that I viewed myself deficient through the world around me. Right? It made me interpret my world in a way that affected how I viewed and interacted the world around me. And it made me feel like I was less than or other than because all these guys were getting the girls. And I was like, but I'm cute. I'm the ugly duckling. Suckers, they missed out. <laughs> Just kidding. But we all have those moments, right? especially when it's physical ones because we can actually measure the value and the deficiency that we feel we're missing. And again, the small things left unchecked will begin to fester, and so small things grow into insecurities, which grow into fears and phobias, which begin to hold us back or lead us to make decisions that aren't the best for us, but they're the best that we can make now because it fills a hole that we have, and it begins to spiral and go deeper and, come and, and become undone and go out of control. And so like when I was young, because of my insecurity, I learned because I wasn't tall and I couldn't fight you with my size, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hone my words so, like, I used to defend and, and fight people with my words, and so because of that, like, to this day, I love people deeply, but, like, I have a sharp tongue, and, like, words will kind of just, like, roll off, and, you know, it was like, I said something, and it was really funny, but then I was like, no, I got to take it, like, the next level, you know, and so then, like, I say something else, and it's like, nah, bro, you, you crossed the line, the invisible line that's there. You just took it a step too far, because the insecurity that I have, that I grew up with, is deep. It's within me. And I constantly have to find freedom from the damage that lays deep within my heart and in my soul. I constantly have to evaluate how my emotions and my mind are in order to make sure that I'm walking in, in, in the freedom of life that God has come to give me through Jesus. Reminding myself of his grace and his promise for who it is that I am in him. Right? And so is it any wonder then, like, while when we're in our insecurities and we're dealing with past baggage and sin, that we dive into, like, the next relationship or the next thing uh, unknowingly because we're trying to fill holes and feel better and cover up spaces of ourselves that we feel like we don't want other people to see, to help us feel whole, and all it does is continually put holes into us. And it gets us into trouble, into our teens, into our adulthood. And it follows us, and we carry this baggage with us. Because the environments that we grow up in affect the way that we experience and engage with the world. And we have a tendency to carry the shame, the insecurity, the perspective, the label with us wherever we go, because it's not something we take off, it's something that is within us. Sins that have committed, been committed against us, sins that we've committed against others all throughout our life, building, 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 attaching themselves to each other, and becoming these heavy weights that we carry around. And it's like while we can learn, like there's a saying, like time heals all wounds. And while we can learn to adjust to those wounds. And while we can seem to move through life and do good things. Seemingly move past the labels that we wear. The reality is that there are certain life events that happen to us that mark us forever. That it imprints something to us. That if we don't learn how to become new, how to let go in a way that is complete and whole it will always hold us back. And that's our reality, that we have pains, that we have problems, that there are people that haunt us from our past, 
that we have habits, that we have hurts, that we have hang-ups that hold us back, and the wounds are deep, and they occur at the level of our heart. And so this is why the words of Paul, I want to show you some of what Paul was talking about today. Paul was an apostle of Jesus, and he was a man who, like you and me, probably had a little more in common than we give him credit for, but before he encountered Jesus, he was like completely anti-Jesus. Like anything that Christianity stood for, he wanted to silence by any means necessary, like whether that was by force, whether that was by violence, taking people out, like he was all about it. But then something happens, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and he experiences his grace and his love and experiences new life, and it transforms him from the inside out. And Jesus sets him on this path, and we're going to look at the words that he's speaking to his fellow believers. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him, him being God, know God better. Then I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And if you read through his prayer, you actually find the four steps that we believe God has given us. To know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. And this part right here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, is so rich. Because at first you might be like me and be like, Paul, you must have failed anatomy, my man, because your eyes are here. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. You see, Paul has an awareness that we perceive and interact and engage with our world based on the experiences and the environments that we grew up in that shape and molded our what? Our heart. That we see the world based on what is happening here. And he's saying, until you can get your heart eyes right, you will miss out on the new life. You will miss out on knowing God the way that he intended you to know him. The eyes of our heart have to be enlightened. Because once you know God, your faith can then help you find freedom, healing, deliverance, and settle the scores of your yesterday. If your heart eyes don't see clearly, though, then you will always find what you expect to see. And it's incredible how science and data now shows that our expectations impact our current realities. What we expect, we experience. And we could do a whole sermon just on that. Because there has powerful implications there of our mind and how we seek out what it is that we, we decide to associate ourselves to. And so this is why we have to claim a new perspective beginning at the beginning with the heart. Our heart eyes have to be focused and they have to be clear. And the reality is, is that we, we know this is true. Like there's a claim that's made by medical or by, by clinical uh, psychologists and counselors now. They say that the foundation of everything connected to mental health stems from the fact that we are all connected. At the root, the cause, the beginning of all mental health issues starts with the fact that we are all more connected than we realize. And we know this is true. This is such a big deal. Like, think about a baby when they're born, right? They immediately need what? They need to be in relationship. They need to interact. They need help. They need somebody to come alongside them. And kids who aren't actually engaged with the right way, if you look at a child's brain as it should be normally, and they didn't get that kind of experience, there's going to be dark spots in the parts of their brain where if they didn't get the love they needed, they didn't develop that emotion. 
And it's, it scars them in ways that they carry that through them in their life. And it's so incredible how we can heal from physical things. Like we know that. Like you cut your finger, right? Like in a couple of weeks, it's, it's going to heal. It's going to be whole. But there's something. There's something about what happens to the mind, to the soul, to the heart, the emotions that can scar us and devastate us for life. And we can get to these places where we feel stuck, defined by our past, defined by people, defined by problems, where, where we feel held back by our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, stuck because we feel like that our future is defined by what somebody said or what somebody else did to us, stuck because we feel like we're defined by the choices we made or the habits that we have. And while we have all kinds of freedom out here, we're so, so, so very chained on the inside of here, on our inner man. And it makes it hard for us to move forward. But the good news is that if that's you today, you need to know that God has more for your life. He has greater purpose and significance for you than you could ever think or imagine. And that's the promise that I want to expose to us today, that God has more for you than just surviving. He wants you to thrive. He has more for our lives. There are two passages that I want to walk us through, and if you've been around church for any length of time, you might have heard these before, but I want to to show this in a different perspective that you might not have considered. So Luke 18, we're going to start at verse 18 and go through 27. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when we read this we actually should read this from their context because the way that we read this now is like the old, the old hymn, like, I'll fly away, oh glory. Remember that song, I'll fly away, like to heaven? No. No OGs in the house. That's okay. We can still work with that, right? So what Jesus is actually saying here, the question that we actually should be reading this as is, what must I do to inherit the age of the life to come? In other words, Jesus, we know that something new is happening, something new is being ushered in. We, res- we hear the authority that you speak with, that you preach with. We know something new is happening. How do I buy into that? How do I be- become a part of that? We know that you're trying to bring heaven on earth now. How does that look out? How does that play out in my life? How do I come alongside you and make that happen? Jesus, what do I do? And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, None is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Now, what's, what's interesting is there are like 600 laws, right? Like laws, rules, rituals, commands that Jesus, like God gave to his people. And it's weird that Jesus would just pick out these ones. And it's almost like he's kind of like setting the bar low. Like it's like Jesus is like baiting them in. Like, bite for me. Please bite for me. Right? Because let's just be honest, right? Like, God willing, you didn't go and kill somebody that morning. Right? God willing, you've been, you, you, didn't, you didn't steal or, or, you know, commit some kind of adultery. You know, you, you probably have done pretty good with your parents. Like, yeah, you know, I, I might have, like, fibbed, like, a little. Like, I told them I was going to do it at this time, but I ended up doing it in the evening. Or, you know, I kind of lied to them, but then I, like, apologized. So, like, you know, check, check, check. Okay, God, I... I'm good. You know what? I have done all these things since I was a boy, he says. So this guy has religion down. On the outside, he looks together. He looks like he's got it all going on. But remember, Jesus, Jesus is the master of the heart. He knows what's going on within the heart of man. Jesus knows where he's trying to take this conversation. And so Jesus said to him, 
You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now often we stop short in this story. And it's because it's easy to preach, right? That it all has to do about riches and pride. Wealth gets in the way. The wealthy can't have, aren't going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Don't let wealth be your idol and possess you. Like, don't, don't allow yourself to be possessed in your soul and not give, give your pride over to God. And that's, that's, that's there, but that's actually not what Jesus was coming to. This is not purely a pride and money issue. It's deeper than that. You see, this young man was probably a man of stature, influence, and title. And what's interesting is the fact that he would even approach Jesus, knowing his position in broad daylight, went to show that he actually had some respect for who Jesus was and the words that he was speaking. He also would have been aware of the fact that the religious elite of the day were around there. Right? So he was, and, and so he would have known that because of him just showing up and asking Jesus a question, they were already going to judge him. And so he's not walking into the conversation with shame. To be honest, he's probably not even walking in with a big ego. More than likely, he's got more humility than we like to give him credit for. And so he's walking in and asking Jesus a very authentic question. We've been listening to the words you're teaching. I hear what you're, what you're saying, and I want to know more. How do I help bring in the life of the age to come? And what's so interesting about this story in particular is this is the only time that we see Jesus tell someone to sell everything they have in order to embrace the life to come, like in order to embrace heaven. And it's not by accident. You see, in the 21st century, Jewish people who had land and had cattle and had livestock would have exemplified God's pr fulfilled promise to bless Israel. You see, the ownership of possession said something about the favor that you or your family had with God. Remember, the Jews at this time, they didn't have, they didn't have their own lands. They were constantly being conquered, possessed, sold, exchanged, pushed into other kingdoms. And they have been living their lives waiting with anticipation for God's promises to come and be fulfilled to this people. And so owning lands, amassing wealth, was a reminder to God's, to God's people of God's promises to come. And so if you owned a lot, you were actually a signpost of God and Israel's future. So then is it any wonder when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus said to him, how hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God? And that's the line right there that catches us up. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So consider with me a different perspective. This young man is not sad because of his riches. He's sad because of what the riches identify for him. It's an identity issue that Jesus is actually trying to get at. See, all that he believed to be that was true about himself, that he was righteous, that he was blessed, that he got, had God's favor, that he was doing the right things, Jesus was unraveling very slowly. An identity claiming false freedom and promise fueled by an environment of false expectation that had nothing to do with the heart of God or his promises, but posturing and religion, not relationship. Jesus is saying, I need you to surrender your perceived identity, the one that you have been building up your whole life, the label that you think is actually holding you up is the thing that is holding you down. And until you can exchange your perceived identity, you cannot grasp this new promise. 
And this is, this is jaw-dropping kind of news to this audience. You see, because in this light, their next question makes more sense. Because who then can be saved, they asked him. If those who we thought were blessed, were righteous, were cut above us based on what, what they were given, the wealth they had, the lands they had amassed, if, we, if they're the ones that were supposed to be, have the apple of God's, of God's heart, but they can't enter heaven, then how does somebody who's broken in spirit, who's poor, who has no title or no lands, how are we supposed to live in the new age to come? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And this new information sheds new light on the conversation that's actually taking place. Because the center of this message that Jesus is saying is, what you thought was going to free you has enslaved you. What you pursued has led you to live a lie. What you sought to fill you up is actually going to leave you oh so empty. And he's saying, I've come to bring clarity to what it looks like to be and live in blessing because you guys have gotten it all wrong. And how often do we see Jesus interacting with the religious elite of his day and trying to re-clarify what they've misinterpreted? Bad perspectives. Promises that he did not give them. Rules that they decided to create for their own, to, to, to prop themselves up. And Jesus is constantly coming in and saying, no, 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 I'm making something new. My way is not your way. What's interesting is that a few verses later, we find another man who was rich, but whose wealth was built off of stealing from his fellow man. It's the story of a tax collector, and not just any tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. Like This is like the mob boss. He's the guy who made the rules, reaped the rewards, and anybody who went against him, he, he enforced the rules by any means necessary. And it's like it wasn't just the fact that people didn't like paying taxes. Like We don't like paying taxes still. That's a... That's a common sentiment. And what's crazy is that if you think this political climate is hot, imagine what it must have been like to be a Jew at the time of Jesus. Like, the Romans were a polytheistic culture, a military might who flexed their strength. They, they enforced all of these rules and leveraged taxes to go and feed their war machine and build up temples of pagans. And these are all things that are anti-Jewish. They had two completely opposing views, and so the Roman Empire, forcing them to pay taxes, felt like they were slaves in a system that they didn't belong in, nor were they wanted in. It was polarized. It was tense. You could have cut everything, the, the air, the environment, with a knife. And the lowest of the low in Jewish society were those who were Jews, but also helped enforce the Roman taxing system. And so if you decided to sleep and partner with the Roman Empire to build your wealth and to feast off of your fellow man, you were considered to be nothing to them. They wanted nothing to do with you. And so Luke 19 starts and it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short... My man, I feel you. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So this guy's not very tall, but he's resourceful. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him. Now, this is, this is such a bizarre scene because the fact that Zacchaeus is actually seeking out Jesus, who he, would, he had to have heard something about it. Anything that he would have heard, he would have been able to notice what this guy preaches and teaches has everything to do that is against what, how I get my living, how I live my life. Like, it's a bizarre scene that he would be so interested in meeting Jesus. And on the flip side, we see Jesus, who almost is, is urgently looking to embrace relationship with him. So then is it any wonder why the people who saw this began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner? And this presents us with a real intangible tension. Because how often do we mistakenly say, if God is for me, he must be against them? How often do we draw lines of tribes and factions separating ourselves? Saying, God's on my side, God's on my side. In reality, Jesus refuses to take any sides, disappointing us all, because that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to validate your or my truths. He came to share his truth and bring light to our eyes, to our heart, to see the path that he wants us to be walking on. He came to bring us redemption. And so Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this just seems to be like such an uncommon reaction of restitution. And like, how on earth did we even get to this point? Like, I'm reading this story and I'm like, did I just like miss something here? It seems to just be like rushing through the fact that this presents us with this, this, this weird issue. Like, did he, how long was he talking to Jesus? Did he hear a lot about Jesus before coming to this point? Like, what is going on here? Because as soon as he meets Jesus, as soon as Jesus calls him out, there, this encounter that happens almost shows as if there's this immediate change of heart. And I can't tell you how to read between the lines, but what I can tell you is that as soon as Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, something in his life changed. And that's what we know to be true. That Zacchaeus in some way let go of his old identity to embrace a new identity in Jesus. And in doing so, in doing so, a rich man gets through the eye of the needle. Who then can be saved? Anyone can be saved. But they have to release their current way of living for a new way of life. They have to surrender their preference and embrace God's promise and Jesus' posture. To follow Jesus requires us to take a step of repentance. Like, like let me show you this definition here. Or I won't. Repentance is best understood as a fundamental change of thinking that results in a change in beliefs and then behavior. You got to catch this. Repentance is best understood as a fundamental change of thinking that results in a change in beliefs and behavior. When you believe something, it's not just a mind thing, it's heart. You believe it at the core of your being. And we have to be willing to lay down our wrongs and own the wrongs that we've committed in our own lives at the feet of Jesus. You see, Jesus was combating the narrative to the Jews that their greatest threat to freedom was Rome. Like that, Rome was not their greatest enemy. 
Caesar was not the problem. Their sin was the problem. It was the brokenness they had inflicted upon themselves and on others. Like, go and read the different books in the library that we call the Bible. And time and time and time again, you're going to see the truth that we already know. We are our own worst enemy. We get in our way all the time. And what keeps this world in bondage is the human heart that resides in me, lives in you. And the human heart that's behind the institutions and the systems that get built. The tribes and the kingdoms that come is the human heart that lives in us all. And we would be fools, fools to think that our issues are just isolated acts of conscious disobedience to God. The reality is is that Jesus didn't come to give us behavior modification. We have a deep aversion to God at the root of our personalities. There's a source from which our life comes from. And that aversion leaves us in unconscious bondage to to, to unbelief, to selfishness, to jealousy, to all different complexities of sin. And so throughout our lives, then you start, you start taking the human nature and you start intertwining that with, the past, with past issues and people and pains and problems and circumstances and failures and the sins that we commit on ourselves and the sins that we commit on others or the sins that others commit on us. And you see the mess that suddenly we're in? And Jesus is pushing back, pushing back and saying, you will not find freedom until you can identify what it is that is keeping you in bondage. And you will not be able to escape those chains until you ask for forgiveness and recognize that the God who had Jesus arrested, beaten, put on a cross, but then rose him again, has power that is alive right now and that can be alive in and through your life. We have to cast aside our brokenness. We have to take the weight and put it before him and exchange that for his promise, his identity, his love, and his peace. We have to have a clear heart to see the freedom that he comes to bring us. So what do we do from here? It's pretty obvious. The first one is you confess your sins to God. To which you might be like, that's, bro, that's ancient. We all know that, but let's, let's get real. Each of us deep down inside, we all know that we're broken. The way that you looked at her and you had that thought, you're talking to your boss and there's some words that you want to let loose. A person cuts you off in your mind, you just, you know, you imagine destroying that person and their soul. We are keenly aware of the brokenness of our nature that we try so hard to cover up and put makeup on and make look pretty. We have all fallen short and we all need to turn to God and repent for who we are at our being, at the core of where that life comes from. Because until we do, you will continually live in active rebellion to God. But the part of forgiveness that we misunderstand, the part of forgiveness that I, that I think we, we assume incorrectly is that we think that forgiveness is innately supposed to bring healing. That actually is not God's plan. And I, I hear from people all the time when I ask them, hey, how are you dealing with that sin? How are you looking to find freedom? And they give you some Christian platitude like, Jesus has the wheel. 
God is all I have, God is all I need, you know, some other thing. And it's like, yeah, that's not, tr- that's, that's not untrue, but it's only half of the issue. Because forgiveness comes from God, but healing comes through God's people. Forgiveness comes from God, healing comes through God's people. Let me show you these two verses, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he being God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, it's not, it says nothing about healing. But what it does say is that God is going to put us in right standing with him. Right? To be justified, just as if I never sinned. That when we bring what is broken within us, our hurts, our problems, our past, our hang-ups, and we say, God, this is the junk that I'm dealing with, and we lay it out before him, he purifies us and imputes his righteousness to us in that moment. So what about healing? James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Confess your sins to each other and then pray for each other so you may be healed. And here's the thing that so many of us don't understand. If you have stood before God and you've said, God, cleanse me. God, make me whole. God, here's my junk. I need you to take that and do something with it. Give me life, new life in you. What you don't quite understand is that you have then that moment today been made righteous before God, which means that your prayer is powerful and effective, not just to loose the chains that are in your life, but the chains of those who are around you, those that you love, those that you care about, those that you have been invited to be in relationship with. Someone needs to hear me today. God is not asking for perfection. God is asking you to take small, simple steps of faith that equates into progress. And we do God such an injustice. He can do so much with so little. We just have to be willing to muster up as much faith as we can possibly hand to him and then see what can begin to break and move. And God's freedom, the freedom that he has for your life comes through forgiveness in him and healing through others. And that healing requires you to be walking life with other believers, masks down. And it is uncomfortable at first. Because when we expose who it is that we really are, we don't think people are going to accept us. When we expose the real issues that are going in within the deep parts of us that we're always trying to cover up, we think they're going to judge me. They can't love me. How are they going to look at me when I, when, when I, when I walk, walk past them? And so often what we don't realize is when we take that mask off, the response that we actually get is, oh, oh, you, you too. Because there's something, there's something that happens when the Jesus in me meets the Jesus in you that we realize that the boat in which we thought we were so alone is so very crowded. That we're in this together. This is why at LifePoint, the expectation is that you need to join a group. Like if you call LifePoint home, 
you need to be in a group. It's not a suggestion. The expectation is that if LifePoint is the community that you have chosen to call home, you need to be doing life with your fellow believers. These aren't my words. You just read them. And I'm going to show you some more before we end from Paul. You are supposed to be in relationship with other people because you have to have a place. Listen, you have to have a place where you can share your secrets because you're only as sick as your secret sin. You have to have a place where you can share your secrets because you're only as sick as your secret sin. Because without accountability, our addictions, our actions are waiting to ambush the greater ambitions that God has for our lives. God wants more for you. Each of us is a part of the body and we need each other to heal. And, you know, to be honest, we make groups so easy here. It's like if you have financial problems, go to a financial group. If you have marriage problems, go to a marriage group. If you're, if you're a young adult trying to figure out how to live out a, a real, live, breathing faith in a hostile world that's anti-Christ, come tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here. You know it. Find friends in faith. Do life with other believers. See what can begin to happen. See how as we come and rally around each other and pray for each other and encourage one another, keep each other accountable as we share what's going on in our world. See what begins to happen as God begins to not only bring you freedom, but the healing that has to come with in order for you to take that next step in your life. Because there are so many believers that I see who are walking around with yesterday's baggage, and I'm talking years and years of baggage, that they've never, ever been healed from. Because they expected, I'm going to give it before God, and once I've told him, he's going to take care of the rest. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do half of it. Now you need to do the other half. You need to go and be in community. I created you for community to be in faith with other people. Now your job is to take a step of faith and trust that I know better than you what you need for yourself. We need a group of people who can rally around us who we can share our struggles with when life gets tough. Let me, let me finish with, with uh, this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 30. I'm going to skip through it. Don't freak out. It's not 15 verses. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's kind of crazy to think Paul was privy to something that we now, we, we know that there's so much more that goes on within the body. Like if I have an infection in this finger, White blood cells, antibodies, other, act, other mechanisms within my body jump into action to bring healing to the point of infection, right? But in order, for it to be connect, in order for it to be healed, my finger has to be connected. If I chop it off, it ain't no good. It will die. You need to be connected to the body of faith, a body of believers, in order to get the healing that you need. You can't just come and attend LifePoint and think that's enough. That's one step. You have to get plugged in. And he continues, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Remember how we started this off? 
What was he? I prayed that the eyes of your heart may be opened. He understands the theme. He understands that what we experience in our environments, how we grow up, affects how we see the world, and, he, and he, that's why he was praying for. That is, however, not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him with accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, gives us a new way of life to find freedom. You were taught, catch this, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, desires that come from where? The wellspring of life, the nature that you already have in you that is adverse to who God is in every way. To be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness that gets given to us when we confess our sins to the Father. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We need a place where we can come and do life with people in a real way where we can throw off having to play a performance, having to act like everything's okay, putting on our masks, acting like we're smiling, but deep down inside we're broken. This is for the guys too. It's okay to be a man and cry. The path to freedom comes through forgiveness in God and healing through God's people. The path to freedom comes from forgiveness in God and healing through God's people. Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? If you are in this place today and you need freedom from sins, from habits, from hurts, from hangups, can you just raise your hand? This is just between you and God right now. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. We've got hands going up everywhere. I want to pray over you right now. Heavenly Father, you see each and every person in this world in this room right now. You see them exactly where they are today in life. God, you see everything that has led up to this moment. Every decision, every sin committed against them, every sin that they've committed. God, we have a desire for more, but we don't know how to get there. And we need you to fill in the gap. And right now, God, what we're asking is there are some of us in this room who we need to confess to you the sins that are in our hearts right now. Our current sin. There's current sin that's in our lives that we need to confess to you to find freedom from. And God, right now, I hope that they're giving that to you. God, this is what I need to hand over. God, there are past sins that those of us in this room have not gotten over. God, we hand those to you. Don't let those past sins be what define us, how, how we decide to live our life. Don't let it, God, help it, Lord, to be cast as far as, as the east is from the west. Help us to experience new life in you. And then God, help us to realize that now that we have confessed to you, we need to find feeling and healing in others. We need to have friends in faith. We need to be a part of a community of believers who are fighting for faith, fighting to flourish, because you, have, you want so much more for us than we could ever think or imagine. Heavenly Father, you see the hearts in this room. God, heal us, help us. Holy Spirit, Give us new eyes to see. In your name we pray. Amen.
Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.